Hello, I'm R.A. Spratt. I write and perform this podcast. If you'd like to support the show, I'm a children's author, so you can buy a book by me, or you can buy me a coffee by going to buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. It's an easy way to make a small thank you gift to the show so I can keep kicking this can down the road. The podcast directory you're using right now should have a link to my Buy Me A Coffee page in the show notes, or you can type it into your browser. That's buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. All contributions are gratefully appreciated. Hello and welcome to Bedtime Stories with me, R.A. Spratt. Well, I hope you've been having a good week. It's very busy here. Uh, Last week, um, I was in regional New South Wales. I went to Bathurst to visit a library, which is actually, I went to university in Bathurst, so it was fun going back there. And I visited a couple of schools in the Blue Mountains. So hello to all those people in the Blue Mountains. It was lovely. Such beautiful weather when I was up there. And I visited Green Valley, which is not in regional New South Wales. That's in Sydney, but it's on the far western side of Sydney. Um, This week I'm in Brisbane visiting schools and uh, next week I'll be heading down to Melbourne. So I'm all about the place. And the week after that I'll be in Sydney. Uh, For a lot of these things, because it's book week, I'm, I'm visiting schools. So what happens is the schools book me to go and visit them and it's all arranged by a speaker's agency and everything. So I'm not doing too many public events, just a few here and there. But I do have a lot of public events coming up later in the year. So Whenever I travel around, people are always like, oh, you're coming to my town. Will I be able to see you? If you want to come and see me anywhere or you want to figure out where I will be doing public events, just go to my website, rasprat.com. Um, upcoming events uh, is, is a border on the right-hand side of every page, and you can see where I'll be going soon. And there's also a, a live shows tab at the top of the page that you can look at to find out where I'm doing shows in theatres that you can buy tickets for. All right, I think that covers everything. Well, today is a big day. It's a big episode of the podcast because today we are going to do the final episode of The Pesky Kids. We're going to do the last chapter and a half of the last book. Um, so it's it's big. Like we've been doing this for months, years, really, uh, stretching out The Pesky Kids. So I hope you've enjoyed it. And uh, next week we'll be getting back into uh, traditional stories retold by our friend Nanny Pickens. And I may even try and provoke my daughter Tammy into um, coming up with some tall tales with me. We'll see how we go. Okay, all right, let's get into it. Well, if you remember last week, we ended on a cliffhanger. So I'll roll it back and I'll start with mum realising she's been tricked. Here we go. This was a trap. She'd been caught in a trap. The helicopter swooped in fast and low, hovering near the stage as commandos rappelled down. Dane Bronwyn's assistant ran towards them, carrying mum. Dane Broadwin had ditched her tweed skirt, revealing that she'd been wearing lycra leggings underneath. She sprinted towards the shopper too. The frailty had been an act. She was an imposter. This woman might be old, but she was incredibly fit. Stop them, yelled Dad. All of a sudden, something clicked. Everyone in Currawong, unanimously and without discussion, realised that the time for playing games was over. People began to launch into action. For a start, the two people dressed as potatoes sprinted after Mum and her kidnapper. One of the potatoes was particularly athletic. Despite the encumbrance of wearing a huge foam suit, the potato caught up with the kidnapper and crash-tuckled him to the ground. Mum tumbled down too. The foam head fell off the potato person, revealing that it was Ingrid. 
The other potato arrived and jumped on top of the kidnapper, helping to subdue him. She whipped off her own foam head so she could see better. It was Joy, the grumpy waitress, moving with more zeal and energy than she ever had when waiting on tables. Mum sat up. She was very dazed and confused. Dad raced forward to help. The commandos were bearing down on her. They were going to get her first. Even if Dad could get there in time, there was very little he could do to stop four super-fit, highly-armed operatives. Bertha! cried Dad. Run! Uh, moaned Mum. She tried to stand, but her legs wouldn't work. Dame Broadwin grabbed Mum and was dragging her towards the commandos, who were only a few metres away, when all of a sudden, something came swooping out of the sky. It was the paper-mâché potato that had slammed into the Odensdotter car. The potato had been repaired and rehung over Main Street. Someone had cut one of the ropes. It skittled all four commandos like a ten-pin bowling ball. Swinging on the back of the potato and steering it through the air was the cat lady. She might be 86 years old, but once a trapeze artist, always a trapeze artist. The commandos were knocked off their feet and they all smashed into the front window of the Good Times Café. The cat lady slid down from the spud and landed, cat-like, on the road. Broken glass was scattered everywhere. Out through the freshly smashed window strode Chef Klaus, rolling pin in one hand and cooking twine in the other. "'You shouldn't have come here, boys,' said the chef. He then unleashed on them a startling display of rolling pin-based martial arts. One of them tried to make a run for it, but when he scrambled to his feet, Mrs. Bellamy was standing in his way. Move! bellowed the commando as he grabbed the old woman by the shoulder and tried to shove past her. But suddenly he found a handbag crashing into his forearm. The handbag felt like it was made of lead, probably because it was. Then there was a searing pain in his shin where he'd just been whacked in the shin. And before he knew it, he found himself sitting on the ground nursing a broken arm. Another commander lunged forward to help him, but soon found his legs knocked out from under him by Mrs. Bellamy's handbag. When he hit the pavement face first, he was knocked unconscious. Joe caught up to Dame Robin and grabbed the shoulder pad of her tweed jacket, but to no avail. When the imposter potato guru spun around, she held the taser to Mum's throat. Don't come any closer, boy. Not if you want your mother to keep breathing, she threatened. The fake dame had backed up against one of the potato princess floats. It was the forklift covered in toilet paper rosettes. She shoved mum into the princess throne on the prongs of the forklift, jumped into the driver's seat and took off down Main Street. Quick, after her, yelled April. Finn found the gears on the tractor, found first, and the giant potato took off at top speed. This was about five kilometres per hour, but he worked his way up through the gears as fast as he could. Doesn't this thing go any faster? Finn pleaded to Neil. Actually, said Neil, it does. Hit the red button. On the dashboard, a red button had been gaffer taped to the console. What does it do? asked Finn. You'll see, said Neil. Finn hit the button. The engine roared. The tractor shook and the whole giant potato lunged forward, accelerating rapidly. I put in a nitrous oxide booster, Neil yelled over the sound of the engine. Why? asked Finn, terrified and adrenalised as he drove the speed-in spud down Main Street with no peripheral vision, just the side of the forklift his mother was being kidnapped on up ahead. In case of emergency, said Neil. How did you know there'd be an emergency? asked Finn. Always is with your family, said Neil. Back on Main Street, Joe was chasing after them all as fast as he could go on foot, but he couldn't keep up. He heard a honk behind him. Joe turned to see President Sweet's bright red mobility scooter bearing down on him, with Tom clinging to the back. Joe leapt to one side. The scooter pulled up short and Loretta leaned out the window. Jump on, she urged. Can this thing move three people, asked Joe. Oh, yes, said Loretta. 
Finn put in a bigger engine, explained Tom. Joe noticed that the bonnet had been removed and what looked like an outboard motor from a speedboat was shackled to the chassis. He climbed on the back. He didn't want to get left behind. The forklift Dame Bronwyn was driving was nearing the outskirts of Currawong. It was about to reach the bridge that led out of town. They must be heading for some backup rendezvous point, said Finn. Where? asked Neil. Suddenly the helicopter swooped low over the potato and hovered directly above the bridge. The forklift sped towards it. If they get to the helicopter first, we'll never save Mum, yelled April. Finn pressed the accelerator flat to the floor and the potato shot forward as fast as possible. The commandos were all still back in Currawong, so the helicopter had to land to pick up Dame Bronwyn and Mum. It touched down on the bridge. Dame Bronwyn stopped the forklift and pulled Mum off the front. The giant potato still had a hundred metres to cover to get there. No, cried Finn. Dame Bronwyn and Mum took their first step towards the helicopter. But at that exact moment, there was a terrible creaking noise. Dame Bronwyn stopped in her tracks. The noise stopped. Then suddenly, the bridge collapsed. The helicopter fell with it, plummeting into the river below. Wow, said Finn. I did not see that coming. Mr Lang was acting interim mayor because the former mayor had failed to properly maintain the local infrastructure, specifically the bridge, which had already had the guardrail knocked off by a runaway psychiatrist van. For more information, see Pesky Kids 2, Bear in the Woods. Mr Lang had been acting mayor for over a month now, but he still had a full-time job at the school, so he hadn't got around to fixing the infrastructure either, which turned out to be a good thing because in this instance, the laziness and inefficiency of the local council was literally life-saving. Finn and Neil scrambled out of the potato to go and help Mum, but they didn't get a chance. A horse galloped past them. They assumed it was Loretta, but no, they saw Dad bearing down on Dame Bronwyn, urging Vladimir on at a full gallop. Go, Dad! yelled Finn. Dad leapt off Vladimir and tackled Dame Bronwyn with even more enthusiasm than he would have done if he had still wanted her autograph. Dame Bronwyn might be an international operative, but she was still an old lady, so she was winded by having an overweight man land on top of her. Dad was soon on his feet again and running over to Mum. Oh, Bertha, cried Dad. Are you all right? Did she hurt you? I'm fine, Harold, said Mum, just dazed and a bit confused. Did I just get rescued by a giant poo and a horse? Oh, I'm so glad you're all right, said Dad. I couldn't bear to lose you again. He wrapped Mum in a big bear hug and gave her a kiss. Admittedly, it was on top of the head, which wasn't the most romantic way to kiss the woman who used to pretend to be your wife, but for Dad, this was a pretty impressive public display of affection. Loretta, Joe and Tom had just pulled up on President Sweet's mobility scooter. Well done, Mr Pesky, said Loretta. You make a wonderful knight in shining armour. Bertha, said Dad, I know our entire relationship has been a farce. But please, I'm begging you, marry me. And for real this time, because life is so complicated and I can't cope alone. And I know it's stupid of me, but I can't help myself. I love you. April sobbed. Pumpkin licked the tears that started to roll down her face. It's not stupid, Harold, said Mum. Not all of our entire relationship was a farce. We did have three very real children. Pretty wonderful children, too. Four, said Loretta. You shouldn't put adopted children in a separate category. It diminishes adoption, which, if anything, is even more special than a biological relationship. She does realise she isn't adopted, doesn't she? Mum asked Dad. I find it best just to go along with whatever Loretta wants, said Dad. It's easier. April, Neil almost shouted. He was caught up in the emotion of the moment. There's something I want to tell you.
What? asked April, wiping tears out of her eyes with the heel of her hand. I love you, said Neil. He lunged, lips first, and planted a kiss on her cheek. Oh, gross, yelled April, shoving Neil so hard he lost his balance and tumbled backwards into the river with a big splash. As soon as his head bobbed above the water, April started yelling at him. I'm only 12. I'm too young for that sort of malarkey. April, declared Tom. I love you too. Can you swim, asked April. Of course. Vision impaired people are perfectly capable of, began Tom. He never got to finish his sentence because April pushed him into the river as well. Neil, April called out to him as he waded up to the bank. While you're in there, can you make sure Tom doesn't drown? Neil nodded and went back to grab Tom by the collar. Well done, Neil, called Finn, giving his friend the thumbs up. That went pretty well. Neil smiled too as he helped Tom up on the bank. He knew April was not the sort to be easily won. He was in no rush. Okay, this is the last chapter. Chapter 28. Happily Ever After. It took a few days to get Currawong straightened out again. Professor Maynard was delighted. Once they rounded up all the commandos, the helicopter, the fake Dame Bromwen and her fake assistant, they'd arrested seven top collective agents. And Dad's antitoxin worked, so she didn't have to get her arm amputated. It was a bit weird for a few days, coming to terms with the fact that so many people in town were ex-spies with dangerous pasts. But people soon forgot about it. Everyone in Currawong had always known that everyone else in Currawong was odd. Now they just had a better understanding of why. The biggest change was that the pesky kids finally felt at home. The kids at school had always given them a hard time for being outsiders, but now they realised that everyone was an outsider really, and it was just the way of Currawongians to give people a hard time. It didn't mean they didn't like you, it actually showed they cared, if they cared enough to be mean to your face. By the following weekend, the town was abuzz with excitement, but not because there was an upcoming festival, no, not for another two weeks anyway, but because of the upcoming wedding between mum and dad. It was supposed to have been a double wedding, but Ingrid and Joy snuck off in the middle of the night and eloped to Borneo. Joy had always wanted to see a sloth, and Ingrid wanted Joy to be happy. The big day had arrived and the Daffodil Gardens was the venue. There couldn't have been a more beautiful setting. True, some of the flower beds were still a little trampled from the capture the potato games, but slightly trampled gardens were a big part of Dad's life, so it seemed appropriate. Joe, Finn, April and Loretta were sitting in the front row of folding chairs. The cat lady was the marriage celebrant and she was talking Dad through what was about to happen. She was used to calming frightened animals, so the cat lady was perfect for this job. The whole town had turned out in force. People had brought picnic blankets. Constable Pike had erected temporary seating. The CWA was selling scones. They never let a fundraising opportunity go to waste. Everyone loved a wedding, and Currawongians loved getting together to celebrate weird, random stuff. So the oddball, eccentric gardener getting married to his not-quite-wife of 20 years was a great occasion for the whole town. Now I know that Currawong is full of dangerous ex-operatives with myriad secret agendas, I really feel at home here, said April. What, said Finn, not following her logic at all. We're not weirdos here, said April, because everyone here is a weirdo. In Currawong, we are, in fact, normal. I wouldn't go that far, said Finn. And everyone loves you all, said Loretta. I definitely wouldn't go that far, said Finn. The, the days you tried to kill me yesterday, said Joe, and the day before... Yes, but only because she loves you, said Loretta. And the whole town clearly loves April because she is the potato princess. 
April blushed. She actually found she quite enjoyed the title. She had to wear the potato crown to all public events for a full calendar year. But it was so ugly, and the potatoes it was made from were sure to rot, so she enjoyed that too. And Finn will go down in Currawong history as the greatest inventor of our age, said Loretta. Now you're just pulling my leg, said Finn. Oh no, said Loretta. For years the giant potato that looked like a giant poo has been the greatest tourist attraction in town. But you've motorised it. Yeah, but the CWA will make me change it back, said Finn. Oh no, said Loretta. They're marketing it. They're going to sell adventure experiences. Tourists can be taken for rides around town in the giant potato that looks like a poo. People are going to travel from all around the world to do that. Pumpkins started barking wildly, and they all turned to see what he was excited about. Professor Maynard's battered hatchback pulled up at the gates of the garden. She's here, said April. Mum got out of the passenger seat. She was wearing a lovely white dress and carrying a bouquet of garish bright dahlias, fresh from Dad's garden. Joe stepped forward and took her arm, and they started walking down the aisle towards Dad. Doesn't Mum look lovely, said Loretta, clapping her hands with delight. You're so superficial, said April. Everyone's superficial, said Loretta. I'm just not ashamed to admit it. Professor Maynard followed a few paces behind Mum. She was acting as bridesmaid and bodyguard in case any collective agents turned up. Are you okay, Dad? asked Joe. Yes, said Dad. And amazingly, he looked it. For once, Dad was not shaking, quivering, or even weeping silently. You're not nervous, asked Finn. Because most people would be nervous about marrying a deadly international super spy, said April. Especially after she's tricked you and misled you for years and years. No, said Dad. He sounded surprised himself. This just seems right. The wedding proceeded as normal. Well, as normal as a wedding officiated by a cat lady in a town full of oddballs could be. When it got to the bit where the cat lady says, If anybody knows of any reason why this marriage should not proceed, speak now or forever hold your peace. Mum turned and gave such a sweeping glare of hostility to the entire crowd that several people took a step back. If anyone had been going to speak, they certainly got the message that Mum would kill them with her bare hands, or perhaps by stuffing her bridal bouquet down their esophagus. So no one spoke up. In just a few short minutes, Mum and Dad were married. This is wonderful, said Loretta. Everything is ending happily ever after. She grabbed Joe's hand and gave it a squeeze. For once, he didn't flinch. He smiled and squeezed her hand back. Oh, no, you're all part of the family now, said Professor Maynard. This isn't the end. This is just the beginning. And that is the end of book five of The Pesky Kids, which is the end of the whole series. That's the last book in the series. I hope you've enjoyed having me read it to you. I've really, really enjoyed reading it um, and revisiting this series. Um, I'd forgotten a lot of the things that happened, and it's been so much fun reading it out loud to you all. Um, so I'm going to miss it. Well, I guess I could go back and listen to myself read it, but that would be a bit weird. All right. Okay. So next week, I'll get back into writing some fresh stories for the podcast, and I know I'm looking forward to that too. Okay. Until next time. Goodbye.